Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week, we wrap up our teaching series called Jesus, My Reward, My Desire, My King. We've been spending the past six weeks unpacking the Gospel of John. This week, we spend some time in John chapter 3, where we look at how Jesus was consumed with truth. Well, today we wrap up this series called Jesus, My Reward, My Desire, and My King. And I hope that some of you have actually been here for all six weeks of this series. If you have been, I feel like there's something that I should give you, some type of prize, like a six-week pin or something that says, congratulations, I made it all the way through this series. Well, unfortunately, I don't have anything to give you, no pins, no pens, nothing like that. I do just want to say thank you, though, for being here. And I believe that if you continue to do more and more of these kinds of things, that you'll find your friendship with God going to new levels. And so if you've been here throughout this series and you've been reading the different paragraphs and you've been taking notes and you've been thinking about how Jesus acted and some of the different things that he did as outlined in John's gospel, I sincerely hope that you are fulfilled and amazed and humbled at all that Jesus has done for us and how he intentionally chose to reach out to every single one of us. Speaking of reading, how'd you do on the last homework assignment? John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. School is almost out for the summer, so this is the last homework assignment that I'm going to give you for a bit. But I hope you had the chance to read that before you came this morning, because what we're going to talk about in these verses is a very fascinating conversation that Jesus has with a smart guy named Nicodemus. And he came to Jesus at a very unique time of the day, and he presented some of his questions and his doubts, and Jesus was good with all of that. And he began the process of answering his questions. So before we jump into this conversation, though, I want to go back for just a few seconds here, and review the different big ideas that we have presented. So in week one of this series, we said that Jesus is consumed with living among us. And that's the opening verses of chapter one and the fact that Jesus came because he desired to know each and every one of us in a personal way. And so he left Heaven up there came down here and he lived among us and he was consumed with that because he knew he had something that he needed to do. That was week one. In week two of the series, we said that Jesus was consumed with a mission and his mission was to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the middle section of chapter one. And then in the last section of chapter one, we said that Jesus was consumed with leadership. And we see him acting and moving about and calling different individuals to join his team. They were the disciples and other followers. And Jesus said, come and follow me because at some point I'm going to die and then I'm gonna rise again. I'm gonna go back to heaven, but my mission must continue. The Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world and I'm gonna do that through you. I'm gonna do that through individuals who will become known as the church. 
And in the last part of chapter 1, we see Jesus just doing some very unique leadership things. Chapter 2 then starts with Jesus performing his very first miracle. He's at a wedding, and they run out of wine. And so Jesus' mother comes to him and says, hey, you got to do something about this. You've got to rescue the party because this is going to mean shame for the family if they're not able to provide. And then she looked at the individuals, the servants who were there, and said, just do whatever he says. So Jesus turned water into wine, and the party continued. And what we gather from that is Jesus was consumed with relationships. Weddings are fun. They're enjoyable. They're not somber events. And I believe that Jesus and his friends were there to have a great time. And he made sure that the party continued because he was consumed with relationships. And then last week, at the last part of chapter 2, we find Jesus leaving the wedding, and then he goes into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And he goes into the temple area, and he finds out that it is a complete disaster. People are selling things and exchanging money, and they're ripping everybody off. And there's no heartfelt cries of worship that are being heard. There's just none at all. And there's no passionate prayers that are being lifted up because of all of the commotion. And Jesus gets angry. He gets mad because he says in chapter 2, I will have passion for my father's house. And so he went in and he just drove everybody out. And he said, I'm going to turn this place back into a house of prayer. And what we learn from that is Jesus was consumed with giving reverence to his father. He wanted that back in his day, and he wants that for us today. So now we're in John chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first 21 verses, and we're going to discover that Jesus is consumed with the truth. And here's the deal with truth, at least the truth that Jesus delivers. It's not complicated. It's not a difficult thing to understand because Jesus was not a complicated individual. So this takes us into chapter 3, and I want to begin reading with verse 1. Here's what it says. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. That was his job, and we'll come back to that and define that in a second. Verse 2. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. In other words, the things that are doing are making it very, very clear that you are something special and that you are from God. I'm getting this. I'm understanding this. And so now I'm here at night and I've got a few questions that I want to ask you. So here's what I want to do today. We're going to break this up into three parts, okay? There's the Nicodemus part. We're going to talk about him and what Nicodemus was and what he represented. And then we're going to get into the Jesus part where he responds and answers the questions that Nicodemus presents. And then there is the truth part where we find some powerful words. And then after that, I've got just one takeaway that I'm going to share. So the Nicodemus part, there's the Jesus part, there's the truth part, and then one takeaway. All right, Nicodemus. Here's what we know about this guy. First of all, he was a member of a religious group called the Pharisees. And the word Pharisee is a Hebrew word that means separated ones. And that's exactly what they were. 
these leaders were separate from everybody else. They were kind of religious, elite, spiritual people. They kind of moved at a whole different level. And so you had the commoners, and they did what they did. And then you had these Pharisees, and they were separate. They were holy. They were unique. And they really didn't mix with the commoners because that wouldn't be a good idea. They were elite spiritual people. And so Nicodemus is part of this elite group. He knew a lot, like the teenagers in my house. They know a lot, kind of. And Nicodemus knew a lot, kind of. And so Jesus begins to push on that a little bit to open up his mind. But Nicodemus, he's part of this religious elite group. Here's what else we know about him. He's a ruler, meaning at this time, Nicodemus had the authority and the power to arrest people and put them on trial. And that is not something that you wanted because if you were arrested and put on trial, you would most definitely be found guilty and it was lights out for you. So Nicodemus is a guy, you don't want to make him mad. You don't want to upset him because he has power and he has authority and he can arrest you and put you on trial. Here's what else we know about him. He comes to Jesus at night. I don't know if you, know, if you notice this in verse 2, but it says, after dark one evening, which means it's kind of late into the night, Nicodemus approaches Jesus. So here's this smart, educated, powerful individual with a lot of authority, and he seeks out Jesus at night. Why does he do that? Well, we don't really know because it doesn't say here in our paragraph, but let's have some fun with this. And let's just imagine why Nicodemus might have come to Jesus at night and why John would have recorded that because he could have left it out, but it's there. And so let's just kind of think about this for a second. Maybe Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he didn't want his friends seeing him talking with this Jesus character who was somewhat of a religious rebel in his day. And if the other elite religious individuals saw Nicodemus having this conversation with Jesus, they might begin to wonder, what in the world is going on with Nicodemus? He is losing his mind, and he is on a slippery slope to who knows where because he's having this conversation with Jesus, and we're going to have to intervene. I mean, we've got to get in there. We've got to rescue him. We've got to stop him from having this conversation because Jesus is not on our side. As a matter of fact, he makes fun of us and he pokes at us and he challenges us and we don't really like that. And now Nicodemus is talking to him. This is really, really a bad idea. And perhaps Nicodemus just wanted to avoid all of that. And so he went in the shadows where nobody else would really see him having this conversation with Jesus. Maybe that's why he did it at night. Or maybe it was just the best time. Nicodemus had a day job. And Jesus was healing people during the day and teaching and instructing his followers. And so he had stuff going on in the day. So maybe it was just the only time that they could get together. Here's the reality. It doesn't matter. The truth is that Nicodemus came. And when he came, guess who had time for him? Jesus. Jesus always has time. And no matter what's happening in your life right now and whatever challenge you might be walking through or whatever success that you might be feeling right now, Jesus always has time for you. 
And I believe that's the heart of why John wanted this in here, to just insert that little thought that whenever you come to Jesus, morning, noon, or night, he has this kind of availability. By the way, this is the same thing that John wants to communicate to us, that Jesus is available. I'm not. I should be. But I'm not, and I know that I fail miserably at giving the right kind of time to people. Jesus doesn't, but I know I have a hard time with this, and maybe you feel the same way. A couple of weeks ago, I had a really busy week, and I came home late one evening, and Tanya, my wife, needed to run out and do a bunch of different things that she was waiting for me to get home so that I could be with the kids. And so I got home, and she left and did her stuff, and I was there with the kids. And some of them wanted a party like it was 1999 which is fine, you know, I'm good with that. So we ran around and we played and I even took them to a park close to our house and we played there and we had a great time. But honestly, I was watching the clock because there was an NBA playoff basketball game on that I really wanted to watch. And so, all right, we're having fun here, but uh, it's time to get back to the house because there's a game on. And so I got everybody together and we went back to the house and I put Cambry, our youngest daughter, to bed. And then I looked at Caden, our six-year-old, and I said, you know, it's almost time for you to go to bed as well, but why don't you stay up and you can watch the first quarter with me because the game was starting. And if I were to put him to bed, I'd miss the opening <laughs> deal. And I didn't want to do that. So I just watch the first quarter with me. And he's like, well, I don't want to watch a basketball game. I'd rather go outside and shoot hoops in the driveway with you. I'm like, well, you know, why don't we watch other people shoot hoops? <laughs> because they're really good at it and they're really skilled and that's going to take a lot of time and we're going to miss the opening part of the game and let's just go downstairs and we can sit and enjoy this together. So he agreed and he came downstairs with me and we watched the first quarter and then I put him to bed. The next day, he told Tanya, I had a terrible night. It was just miserable. I'm like, what? We went to the park and we did all these things. We watched a quarter of the basketball game, but he wanted more of me. And he was disappointed with me because I don't give the right kind of time. Well, guess what? One of the things we learn from this is that Jesus has the time. And while we sometimes may be disappointed with him because everything doesn't go our way, we can never be disappointed with his availability, right? We might be disappointed with him because things don't go the way we want them to go, but we can never be disappointed with his availability, and that's exactly what Nicodemus found here. So he comes at night. Why? We don't know. It doesn't matter, other than the fact that we get this wonderful takeaway that Jesus is available all of the time for us. No matter what we're walking through, he's there. He's available. So there's one more thing about Nicodemus, and that is he had respect for Jesus. Not everybody did, and not everybody does, and that's the same today, isn't it? But Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and we see this respect in the fact that he calls him rabbi. He addressed Jesus as a leader, and he dropped all of the violent things that other people were saying about him. And this is a term of respect. Rabbi means teacher, leader. And so Nicodemus comes, and he calls Jesus rabbi. He calls him teacher, and that tells us he had a great deal of respect. So that's the Nicodemus part. 
Now, let's think about the Jesus part of this, and we pick up on that in verse 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, Well, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? It's kind of a funny question that Jesus presents there. Like, seriously? You don't get this? I have to say it again? Verse 11, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Up there, came down here, it's chapter 1, Jesus living among us. He's kind of reinforcing that. And so then Jesus goes on to share a historical event that happened in Israel's history, something that Nicodemus as a teacher of the law, would have known about. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, and that actually happened, and when people looked at that, they were healed, and they were whole. So as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and that's a reference to the cross, and how Jesus is going to be lifted up on a cross, and he will die, and he will pay the price for sins so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, do you see those two words, eternal life, there? This is the first of 15 references in John's gospel to eternal life. It's kind of a big theme that runs through this. Now, here's the heart of the Jesus part. He's looking at Nicodemus, who's questioning and trying to figure this out, and His hope and his desire for Nicodemus is simply this. Believe. Believe, Nicodemus. Believe me. And so we've got Jesus conversing here for 13 different verses, and you can sum all of that up with the word believe. By the way, that's the same desire and the same hope that Jesus has for all of us. Believe. Believe in me. And why does Jesus really begin to use this word as a theme here? And why does John emphasize that so much? Well, I think it's because spiritual birth is something that one undergoes, not something that you produce. As our efforts had nothing to do with our natural conception and birth, so in an analogous way, the gift of eternal life through Jesus is not an act of our own. And this is very shocking for Nicodemus, very shocking 
for him to hear this from Jesus because he was used to doing all of the right things and just stacking that up and having the right kind of training and attending the right kinds of events so that he could earn the favor of God. And along comes this individual, this rabbi named Jesus, and he says, you know what? It's really not about that stuff. It's about simply believing in me. And you know this had to drive Nicodemus crazy, like Jesus. But I've been trained, and I have all of this education. No, 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 Jesus said. Believe. Yeah, but I've stacked up all of these different events, and I'm really, really good at doing that, and we pride it. No, no, no. Jesus said, just believe. Believe in me. That's ultimately what it's all about which takes us into the truth part. Verse 16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Powerful words. Very recognizable words for many people, even those who don't really care about the Bible. This is probably the most famous section in all of Scripture. And it's truth. And again, here's the reality about the truth that Jesus presents. It's not complicated. It's not hard because Jesus was not a complicated individual. And so what's very unique about verse 16 is that there's four words that kind of fall out of that verse that I want to share with you, words that I think will be very, very helpful. So let's consider what we find in John 3, 16. Loved, gave, believe, And have. Four very unique words that come right out of John 3.16. Because when you think about it, that verse tells us God loved the world so much that he gave, and he gave up something that was very important to him and very precious, his one and only son, the only one that he had. But because he loved so much, he gave, and whoever believes in the person of Jesus and his work on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Guess what? They will have eternal life. And so for Nicodemus, he wanted this part right here, but he wanted it to be all about what he could pull off, and Jesus gently pushes on that and says, look, loved, gave, believe." And have. This is the gift of eternal life. We have several individuals today who are going to get baptized in just a few moments, and I'm so excited for them and thrilled about this choice in their life. Baptism is not something that saves you, it's simply an outward sign and a symbol of what God has already done on the inside that these individuals 
they understand God loved them and God gave. They believed and now they have eternal life. And so they're taking this next step of obedience and saying, I want everybody to know that I'm connected to Jesus, that I want to follow him. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to work really, really hard at being a disciple and following after the way of Jesus. And they're taking that step because of these words here in John 3, 16. I want to read them one more time. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, they've embraced that, these individuals today, and you can do the same thing. And God accepts everyone, anywhere, anytime because he's got availability. So Jesus wraps up this conversation with these words in verse 18, which just kind of reemphasizes everything that he's already shared with Nicodemus. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. But people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who did evil hate the light or all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. And again, all of that reemphasizes loved, gave, believe. And have, and you know that Nicodemus' mind is absolutely spinning here. Because Jesus has just presented something to him that was a whole different paradigm from what he was chasing. Nicodemus was chasing all the stuff that you stack up, and hopefully God likes that enough and he'll let me in. The challenge with that is how do you ever know when you've done enough of that? And Jesus just kind of came along and said, You don't have to worry about that. God loved. He gave, if you believe, you can have. This is like a whole better way. So just one takeaway. And that takeaway is Jesus has time for you. He does. Jesus has time for you. And if you've never believed and trusted in him alone to save you, then I'd encourage you to wrestle with that today. Believe. Trust. This is the theme of the Gospel of John. And he throws that word out over and over again. And Jesus zeroes in on that because this is the hope that he has for all of us that we will truly believe. So if you've never believed in him, you can take that step today. You can do that. If you have taken that step, you've trusted in Jesus, but your relationship has become a little wonky got a little sideways, a little weird, and you're not really that zeroed in on him, that I'd encourage you to use this day to recognize that morning, noon, or night, Jesus has time for me, and I can come back and say, all right, here I am again. Please forgive me. I'm ready to pick back up and follow you with my life. Please take it. Use it. I'm ready to be your disciple, your follower. You can take that step today. I think as we do this, will discover in new ways, Jesus, my reward, my desire, and my king. Father, we're grateful for our time this morning and for 
a careful look at these 21 verses in John. I pray that as we just continue to respond to you and your greatness, that you would challenge us and that you would help us to think about what you want to say into our hearts right now. And for those, God, that have never trusted in Jesus alone, I pray that you'd help them to respond to that, to realize that it's possible for them to have that kind of friendship with you. God, for those of us who have allowed that friendship to get a little sideways, to get a little crazy, I pray that you would help us to really do everything possible right now just to focus and to say, God, we want to place our lives in your hand and do what's right. So I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Because maybe you're here and you're recognizing, I've never trusted in Jesus alone to save me and I need to take that step. And you want that, your understanding that God loved and he gave. And if you believe you can have eternal life and you want that, then I would just encourage you from your heart to God's ears, just talk to him. That's what prayer is. It's just conversation. So talk with God and let him know that you've messed up that your life isn't perfect. But on this day, you're ready to trust in him alone to save you. Thank him for paying the price for your sins. And just tell him, you're trusting in him alone. You're not gonna add anything else to that, just him. And he'll meet you here, he will, because he's available. Maybe that's something that you've done and you've just let your friendship with Christ get sideways. Then in this moment, would you just commit to getting back on the path again, the path of truth, the path that Jesus was consumed with? Father, again, we're just so thankful for today. Pray for those that have kind of walked through some decisions this morning. And whether that's trusting in Christ for the very first time or just getting back on the path of truth, I pray that you would give us all boldness as we walk out of here to follow through and to take next steps. God, for those who are trusting in you for the very first time today, maybe that next step is to get baptized in just a few moments. They're nervous about that, and that seems a bit rushed, but God, it's okay. This is what you want for us. So I pray that you encourage them to even wrestle with that in these next few minutes. But encourage them. God, may they walk out of here knowing that they have a forever friendship with the one who paid the price for them. Give us strength, again, to be obedient to you. Jesus, our reward, our desire, our king, we worship you now. Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.